This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat Questions podcast, brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. And our segment sponsors are the Tanners and the High Low. Make sure you stop into all those places whenever you're in town and you, I'm talking to you, are probably overdue for a visit to MHK. The mask ordinance departs on at midnight on May 16th. We're about to start licking doorknobs like the good old days. It's going to be interesting. See how each individual business handles it and how I handle it. Be able to just walk around with a naked face. Feels dirty. Speaking of dirty, welcome to the podcast. I'm sure you feel dirty for doing this. Zach Carlson, Midnight Carmody and Gills Gilbert, alongside your trusty host, me, Fitzy Poo. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, guys? We're actually recording in the morning, which is kind of weird. Gills is kind of uh, comatose. I mean, it is, uh, it's 1030 in the morning when we're recording this and it's like, uh, what, 2 a.m. to you on your pretty much. Cycle? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. I, I've lived that life. I understand. Zach, you've lived that life. Yeah. I woke up at 950 and forgot to set a backup alarm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, I had to wake up at the crack of, uh, 8 a.m. for an eye appointment. Yeah. Does that mean I was the first one up? Oh, it's not hard to do with this bunch. <laughs> It's most most days with me, if you get up at nine, you got me beat. <laughs> I, I do like to sleep in. I do stay up late. Well, this is the podcast in which we take your questions from Wabash Station, and let's dive in. Cole, you got them today? I got them today. Awesome. First question of the podcast comes from C.W. Powercat. It's been a while, so welcome back to the podcast. Uh, he asks, if Skyler... Skylar Thompson was the starting quarterback for Alabama or Clemson. Do you think they could still compete for a national championship or his, or is his ceiling just too low for that? That's a really interesting question. What does CW stand for? You think that's his initials? I'm like, this is my favorite part of the podcast. (laughs) Just guessing. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Could be his rap name. Like chronic wafer. Don't know. Um, it's a that's a great question uh, because you put those kind of weapons around him. What's he become? What's he look like? Uh, I, I think my ongoing issue with Skyler, and I, and I hope he advances through this, is his progressions. And you know, even in, with an Alabama, your first receiver isn't always open. Your second receiver probably is, uh, but. Do do you get to him? I mean, do you move through those progressions? Something he needs to work on. I would imagine he would see a little bit less pressure with an Alabama-Clemson offensive line. But then again, you know, there's pretty good – if you're in those conferences, if you're particularly Alabama, you're going up against NFL defensive linemen all the time. Oh, guys, what do you think? I don't really know what to do with this question. I say no to Clemson because if you look at their quarterbacks, you have Trevor Lawrence and then you have Deshaun Watson who both – you know, back-to-back, put in the league. You look at Alabama. They weren't bad. Those guys weren't bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were not bad. You look at Alabama, though. Outside of Tua and outside of Jalen Hurts, who does Alabama have as a quarterback that they've put in the league? Mac Jones? I mean, Mac Jones, I, I think he's going to be like Greg McElroy or whoever else. You know, they might play for a couple of years and then become a backup and kind of just fall away and they show up on ESPN. So, at the very least, I think that 
Skyler could fit into an Alabama system a little better because he's going to have those tools around him. And at least with Clemson, yeah, part, of, part of the tools, at least with Clemson being successful, is you've had a good quarterback. Yeah. At least at Alabama, you can you can be the best quarterback at Alabama and just kind of be kind of anonymous because of the rest of the guys that are on the team. I agree. I think a lot of it, too, you have to look at. Um, you have to do the exercise reversed. So if Mac Jones was playing for K-State, I'm not going to say this year. We'll say the year previous um, when Skyler was actually playing and healthy, K-State went 8-4. Do you think Mac Jones would have a better record than 8-4 with the roster that K-State had in, in 2019? Or do you think that he would lead them to a better record than 8-4? and four? I think if you want to look at it like that, you know, for me, if Mac Jones is on that team, I don't know if K-State's any better than 8-4. and four. So if you put Skylar Thompson on Alabama's, I agree with you, Zach. I think he would have a chance to succeed. But another thing is, is he even good enough to start at either one of those two schools if they're even – Let's, he's, pretend, he's let's pretend like he is it's, or like that he would be. Would it's he a have really, success? really interesting question to reverse it, Gills, because – how much of the greatness of a Mac Jones in college is because he had so many tools. He had a great offensive line. He had a proven system. He had an awesome defense to get him the ball back. Everything's okay. There's not a lot of challenges to that beyond the occasional blitzer or confusing coverage. And a quarterback, honestly, at Kansas State or even a lesser program deals with so much noise and physical abuse from the opposing team that mm-hmm. – it can make you a lesser player when you're actually the same player. Yeah. I mean, I don't see much difference between with between Skyler and, and Mac Jones. I know we talked about um, his shirtless picture of that. You know, like, look, I mean, I don't think they're that much different. I think if, if Jones came here and played at, at K-State, maybe another win. That's about all I'd give him. I mean, same thing for, for Skyler going there. They'd probably go 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one or whatever. Here's a different spin on this theory. I feel like Mac Jones, being the quarterback at Alabama, looking like he does, is a bigger man in Tuscaloosa than he would be in Manhattan. <laughs> People in Manhattan would make fun of him. <laughs> man, you look like you got the dad bod. You you might be beyond a dad bod with that thing. I mean, that's just that's grandpa bod almost. It was just ridiculous. Uh, next question comes from Itam Bibi. Borrowing and changing the title line from Wally, if you can change one history of K-State athletics, what would that be other than Michael Bishop's fumble? Mm. I assume it means like one play, yeah. not actual history. Or one game. I'll change the history that we haven't won a national championship in football. That's what the question is. But Yeah, I mean. The Baylor game. <clears throat> that's what I was thinking too. Baylor game or the Butler game. I think those are the only two, at least for us modern people. Mm-hmm. Not Loyola? You wouldn't consider that? No. That's third place. I'd pick, I, Butler, I, I'd pick but, the Butler game. My, my problem with that is, is I feel like uh, the team that lost to Butler would have had a chance to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the team that lost to Loyola had played out its string pretty well. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and Loyola had too. Whoever won that game was going to lose in the national quarter or national semifinals, and they did. So... I feel like the K-State team that lost to Butler still thinks it was a grand conspiracy to get Butler home to Indianapolis to play on CBS. Just all part of my conspiracy theories. Two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I I feel like that. But naturally, um, I mean, even, you know, you can't undo the fumble is what it is. That. K State goes ahead and wins the game. I mean, they still had the; they were still ahead. For God's sakes, they still had to blow the rest of the game after that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be still my number one because I am one hundred percent convinced that K State team would have whooped Tennessee up and down the field. So, I've been go, go ahead, Cole. Okay, I was just going to say. Well, I'm going to going to take this one and bring it in from left field here. What happens if Barry Brown doesn't get his second foul against UC Irvine? I mean, and he plays the whole first half. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's something that, that you might have to put up there, too, because that team was pretty good. I'm not wasting my reversal of history well, no. <laughs> one-time gift on UC Irvine in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I'm not doing it. Well, they didn't no. have weight. No. They were going to get knocked. If it wasn't that game, the next game, whoever that was, Wisconsin, I don't know if they would play next. But you, yeah. uh, Oregon? 
one of them? I don't know. I'm a bigger basketball fan, so I have the LaSalle game if Andrew Rodriguez doesn't go into the corner and do what he did. And then the Xavier game, if we don't go to to um, you know, overtime, what if the refs just call the foul on the on the two point shot and K State wins by one and they don't have to play an extra ten minutes up in the yeah. altitude? It's a big difference. Yeah. Well, that's a right. good point there. But they still won the game. <laughs> they did, but they yeah. were they were exhausted. Yeah. They were exhausted. I think the thing I would change about um, that Big 12 championship game was this. This is a – I just joked about my conspiracy theories, but um, there was a certain white hat that gave K-State all kinds of troubles. And and that game was included, and it's kind of gotten forgotten in the arc of time, was towards the end of regulation, Texas A&M was called for 12 men on the field. And it was a 15-yard penalty because the guy participated in the play. They had 12 guys. Well, what was his name? Rick. I'm totally spacing off his name now. Uh, Rick Astley. Rick Astley. uh, Rick Rold, (laughs) K-State. And I I watched him. I was on the field because it was the end of the game. He stood over the football and looked at it, realizing Martin Gramatica could drill this and win the game, and changed it arbitrarily to a five-yard penalty. He literally marked it off and then had it remarked as a five-yard penalty because the player was attempting to get off the field, which he was not. The referee was Randy Crystal. Randy Crystal. There, I did an entire cover piece of the magazine about all the weird things K-State had had with Randy Crystal. Weird interpretations of rules mysterious one one game with the clock running down he stood over the football and wouldn't let k-state snap it it was it was just weird um but yeah he moved it back to it would have been a 60 some yard field goal instead of a 50 some yard field goal and i still feel like to this day i don't understand why bill snyder didn't let martin grammatica swing at that 60 some yard field goal because they ended up throwing a a deep pass that was caught at the one yard line and the guy was tackled. So it it was it's still he had the leg to hit it. It was indoors. Why not take a swing at it? But that's how long would the field goal have been? It was I think it was like sixty four, sixty five. So he would have tied Whew. tied or been one short of his record. Yep. But it was and on it was turf inside. Indoors. Yeah. Uh the next question comes from big, big, big time timmy jim did you like my i like it it's good it's good also it's been a while so welcome back to the podcast um what is the most outrageous k-state story you have covered for me it has to be the kraus prince m-o-u i need some explanation on that one fits oh my god i I do as well i'm not familiar with that so k-state fires ron prince and it turns out at some point bob kraus who had been named ad um had given him a secret contract. He hadn't run it by anyone. John Weefold still says he didn't know about it, but I, it's a friend of mine. I still have problems, but he didn't know anything about it. But sure enough, when after they fired Prince and Kraus was gone, Jim Epps, the acting AD, who had to have been in on the contract negotiation too, because he was in charge of that kind of thing, found it in a drawer. And of course, his Prince's lawyers had it. So K-State was on hook for millions and millions of extra dollars. Just ADing at its worst. Mm. What a mess. Was there ever any, like, any, any, because I've seen the, the, the documentary of when they hired Bill Snyder originally, mm-hmm. which is awesome. I, I loved, you know, watching that, especially for somebody who's not super familiar with K-State football, um, that if you watch that, I feel like you kind of at least have an idea. How bad it was. How bad it was. I mean, you were around uh, in that time period. Was there ever, like, if they didn't hire Bill Snyder, was there ever anybody else originally that was no, they, they, thought of? Uh, they looked at some other guys. I think Jack McNell, who was an older coach back then, they looked at him and... <clears throat> I mean, they were going to hire one more coach, and that just happened to be the right guy. Yeah, and and Jim Epps again. That's who found literally. You know, this is pre-internet. He's literally sitting in his office, flipping through media guides, just looking. 
you know, what we would do now going through coaching staffs on online, he's flipping through media guides and comes to the Iowa media guide and says, well, this guy's been there a long time. I wonder what his story is. And that's literally how it happened. He found him in a media guide. So yeah, it, other things that change, uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that thing was crazy. I, I, one that sticks out with me, I didn't actually cover it, but was the Larry Travis firing of Jim Dickey and that I, my first Kansas State 10 list that appeared on the website today brings that one back. I mean, Coach Dickey had a few years before taken K-State to its first bowl, and the Wildcats, you know, had kind of backed up. They weren't as good. But he stood there. He paced the fourth quarter back and forth on the hill. There's now seats there, but on the hill leading into the locker room, just Visible to everyone in the stands, he's pacing back and forth in the middle of this game that he's going to fire the coach. It was just tacky. It was so tacky. Because Jim Dickey was a really good guy. And I do wonder if Jim Dickey had had the financial um, support that Bill Snyder demanded and got, where, you know, what would have happened? It, I mean, I he wasn't a Bill Snyder, but I mean, I think he would have won more. He did get him to a bowl with some of the worst facilities in college football. I don't know. Zach, you got anything? At least for me, covering probably the other dude at the thing after the OU loss with Bruce Weber. Oh, it's funny. That was the funniest thing. What? They get the, so K-State, it was back in 2017. So K-State gets its butt kicked down in Norman by the Sooners. Keep in mind, I'm calling for coaches firing. Yeah, like it's... <clears throat> It's really close to being time. And I remember Riley and I, we were there. And for whatever reason, John Curry was not there. He was almost gone, about to leave for Tennessee, but he hadn't yet. But Laird Veach was there, and he was kind of doing the pacing around. We're like, afterwards, and like, no players have come out. No coaches have come out. Like, we're like, what's going on? Like, something's up. Like, it just seems weird. And then Tom comes out, and he tells us, uh, so it's just going to be Bruce. The players don't want to talk to you. I remember Kellis asking, he was like, is that their decision or your decision? It was like, that's their decision that they're not going to talk to you. And then Bruce comes out and, you know, nothing happened. It was a normal press conference, but he, Kellis asked some hard question, I guess, or I don't know what, but, and then Bruce is like, the only people that ask anything is you and the other guy at the thing. Other dude the, at the thing. Other dude at the thing. <laughs> which was Fritch. Which Fritchin, was Fritch. Because he'd asked, uh, he, he, you know, Fritchin, he doesn't ask opinion questions. He asks his statistical questions. Mm -hmm. So he brought up some stats. I don't even remember what they were, but yeah. they were unflattering. And Bruce was offended by the stats. <laughs> and so he couldn't remember yeah. Scott Fritchin's name after being here five years or seven, six years, whatever it was. So he called him the other dude at the thing. So that the next Monday or Tuesday when Fritchin had a story on the site, I changed his byline to the other dude at the thing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Another one, I didn't really cover it personally, but the Letty Romero thing was kind of crazy. Just was at crazy. least out in public, you know, John Curry's blocking, you know, the transfer and nobody really knows why. I mean, we knew why, but um, I'm, I'm going to say this and no, everyone knows that I don't look at John Curry with, you know, much positivity. He was right on that one. People don't know the whole story. He was exactly right. Which is, it's funny because I was in a sports econ class with Dr. Keister and Keister. John Curry was a guest speaker for the class around that time. And Dr. Keister had brought up, you know, the transfer rules and what they were blocking. And he even mentioned the Letty Romero situation. It was funny people asking John Curry about that situation and him trying to squirm out of it and give a, a reasonable public answer for a situation that wasn't really public. Something I won't discuss publicly. I mean, I just won't. It, it violates her privacy, but violates a lot of things that went on. I would also say probably the craziest thing I was right up front with was John Curry suspending Jamar Samuels at the NCAA I was tournament. Bring that up too. Because I've been around Frank and seen him mad. But when John Curry came in after the game, a game that K State probably would have been very competitive with if they had a player just like Jamar Samuels to play against that Syracuse zone. And Curry goes in the locker room to give the what a great season speech to a team that he just basically doomed to defeat. Frank came out of the locker room and looked at me and said, 
I about punched my boss. <laughs> but it was more like, Fitz, I about punched my boss. So <laughs> I'm, I, he was so mad, and I knew right then it was over, that John Curry had manipulated that entire situation to be a dick to Frank Martin. He was so petty as a boss. He effed over Kansas State basketball and a student athlete to get to Frank Martin. And he still gets AD jobs. It was the most petty, childish thing I've ever seen an adult in power do. But, yeah, that, that probably topped my list now that I think about it. What about D. Scott with, uh, speaking of statistics, with Mark Few? Oh, that was so funny. It was so funny. Uh, again, D. asked Mark Few, K-State beats Gonzaga down in Wichita, some statistical question about free throw percentage. And Mark Few, being the dick that he is, was arguing with Fritchin. And Fritchin's like, he, like he's saying, that's not right. And Fritchin's like reading from the stats. It was so funny. Is there a question in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last question of the first half comes from El Camino Cat. With the way that major NCAA athletics are trending in terms of money, staff, size, facility, recruiting, NIL, etc., will KSU always be an underdog at this level? Yeah. Is there anything tangible that K-State can do other than hoping for lottery winnings to change our spot in the pecking order? Sometimes it gets tiring playing a game where it feels like the deck is stacked against you. Well, the, I think the problem with K-State is – alumni base. I mean, you look around the the landscape of college athletics, Kansas State's the, the same size as Missouri State and Colorado State, but it's playing at the Power Five level. So it doesn't have the, the huge national fan base. It doesn't have the medical school, law school type donors. Um, and it doesn't have a national name. I mean, you know, even like Duke, a really small school, I mean, they sell so much stuff. They have such a national following. It's just hard to be Kansas State and compete. Now, could K-State over a course of time develop national fan base? Look, I it was happening in the early Bill Snyder era. I mean, early, yeah, after, you know, 97, 98, Michael Bishop was a national brand. And people knew K-State because of him, and Al Robertson kind of followed that. So there was something cool going on that came to a screeching halt in 04, 05, and Ron Prince. It's a, and then Bill Snyder's first year really was a six-year. You do six years of being off the, the front page, you're toast. I mean, you got to rebuild unless you're in Nebraska or something. So, yeah, they just don't have the national brand. National following and the huge wealthy fan base to sustain greatness. According to NCAA football 2012, I can be the head coach of K State and win national championships. So if that can happen, that sounds like a sounds like a coding error. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why they can't. I mean, if you win 10, 11 games a year, you can get to that level. You just got to do it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just really, really hard to sustain it um, when you don't have the re the recruiting base. You know, the, like a Texas or an Oklahoma has. I guess that's the real question is Iowa State right now. I mean, they've had some success for the last three to four years. If that's what they want to be, are they going to be able to continue to have nine, ten win seasons? And I think, you know, the average fan across the country would say, I don't look at Iowa State as a national power. And so, I mean, if they continue to do it for four or five more years, then sure. But, I mean, that's kind of the model that K-State has to build right now. I think it's – I've said it before, but look at Clemson. Clemson was nobody, yep. you know, 10, 15 years ago. And look what Dabo's been able to do since, you know, he took over in the mid-2000s. So, you know, I, I think it would take some time. It's probably going to take 10 years of success under Kleiman to finally get up to kind of what Clemson is. Because I'd call Clemson probably a national brand. You get star players yeah, like Deshaun Watson sure. and T Trevor Lawrence. and But they were know, never – I'm trying to think who to compare them to. They they would be the almost as if Texas A&M started winning. I mean, they were, they were more of a national brand. They had had success under, I think, Danny Ford. God, how did I pull that out? Yeah. If, if that's wrong, don't nobody correct me. I feel good about it. But they, they've had some success through their history, and you know they have a big tradition and a big following. I mean, South Carolina might be the state school, like the K State of 
South Carolina, but there's a lot more population there. I don't know. Iowa State's got a long ways to go. They're celebrating a nine-win season. Well, Bill Snyder won 11 four years in a row. So with a one less game on the schedule. Iowa State needs to make New Year's six games year after year. Did they even make one this year? Yeah, they did this year. Oh, they made the Fiesta Bowl. Mm -hmm. Did they win it? Yeah, I think so. I believe so. I don't see Iowa State. I mean, do you guys really think the Big 12 can have two teams like that? I think it's kind of Oklahoma's conference and then Texas can be behind them. I don't see Iowa State ever getting there. As a national brand, no. I don't see him doing that. But I think that there's room at the table, especially if Texas is just going to be Texas. I mean, Texas isn't back. Texas is eight and Texas right now is what K State is hoping to be this year, mm-hmm. and at least a baseline of of success for the future. But Texas isn't a ten and two team year after year, unfortunately, like they were in the days. But that's also a good thing for K State because there's room at the table. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma State been flirting with that. Not quite able to get over the hump. <clears throat> K-State can get back. What they don't need, it's kind of ironic. What they don't need is Texas getting good again, really good again, or, you know, whatever you want to define that. Um, but they need them really good to define the brand of the Big 12. So it's kind of like uh, that's one of the loopholes with national perception is Texas and Oklahoma can be really good teams, but if they both lose to K-State, were they really good? They lost to K-State. So the Big 12 must not be very good. That's the game they play, and that's why I want to see the playoffs expanded. I wouldn't mind OU and Texas swapping. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, Texas becomes the OU, and OU needs to get back. Lincoln Riley goes off Eight and somewhere. four, seven and five. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I, and, you know, you, you have to understand that part of Bill Snyder's rise at Kansas State was putting his boot on the shoulder of Oklahoma and climbing over a struggling Oklahoma program in the standings. And, you know, that was a huge part of it. You just got to start picking teams off. And he started, you know, he ran into Nebraska at the top of the standings and it got very difficult. But he finally got past that, too. So. He's got to keep climbing over teams, and that's where I wonder where Iowa State's going to end up if they're going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. Is that for the first half? That's it. We will be back right after this with more of your questions from Wild Station. This is the PowerCat Questions Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast continues after this short break. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the Power Cat Questions Podcast, brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. We just took a little break in the middle to listen to Pete Hughes. It was interesting. It, him talking about that half inning that lasted an hour and he never Insane. seen anything like that, been through anything like that. Man, it was like a, that was a nightmare for a baseball manager. How many runs? 17? 17 runs. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. But he's right. It's one loss. Let's move forward as we're sponsored by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor and our segment sponsors, Tanner's and the Hilo. And now your questions from Wabash Station. Cole, take over. First one of the second half comes from El Camino Cat. Who was the best recruiter K-State has ever had? Venables, Stoops, Delonte Hill, other. Mm. God, he has good questions. No, community keep making me think. I, I don't really have an answer for this. It'd be all you, probably. 
I don't know if you want to put Delante on that list because he really had like one flurry. You got Bill and Michael both? You got Mike. Not Bill. Bill was Hugs. Okay. Yeah. And Mike, I mean, Hugs played a role in Mike too, but Delante was kind of a package deal, AU thing. The way you got to do it. Delante is a great recruiter. Um, yeah, you got to go back to those old, I think, Stoops. Stoops and Levitt back in the day. I mean, they were just tearing it up, particularly on the defensive side. It's so funny. People think of K-State football, and they think of the Bill Snyder offenses. This program was built with defense, man. They were so good. And Jim Levitt going into Florida and bringing out Mario Smith and guys like that just really redefined K-State football, and it's it's kind of sad to me that you don't see them back in Florida more because they had a pretty good pipeline coming out of Florida of a bunch of good good players. But, yeah, those two were pretty dynamic force. And then Venables comes along as a really good recruiter too. But, yeah, I'm I was less connected to those early days of recruiting because we didn't get into – I didn't start publishing a magazine for the Wichita Eagle until 95, so I wasn't quite following recruiting. But you can look at the roster where guys were coming from. I mean, just the fact that – Bob Stoops went back to Youngstown, Ohio, and at the last minute got Jamie Mendez to come in and play, and he's now on the the ring of honor. I mean, that just tells you how good they were at identifying talent. That dude could flat out play. What about, I'm going to reword this question a little bit, who is the best recruiter K-State has right now? Golly. It's got to be Southwell in my opinion. I would say Van Malone. Personally, it, yeah, They're, both of football's them. Football's losing. They're losing. Yeah, but, but Van Malone's not Kansas. Yeah, he's not handling Kansas as much. Yeah, Van's a. It's. I don't know. I'm too close to the trees right now. There's nobody that just is absolutely dominating. But what Shane did with basketball, impressive. Shane having attachments to three of the five guys they signed is exactly what they need from the young coach, the recruiter. It's kind of what they've been missing. They really didn't have that. Um, you know when they. They had Brad Corn on the staff. Uh, they didn't really have a young, dynamic recruiter out there. So, yeah, it, it's really helped. And I I love that Shane understands that's his role. That's what he can contribute the most. Go get some dudes. Because at the end of the, end of the day, like the cliche says, it's about the Jimmies and the Joes. And if you don't have enough of those, you're going to lose football, basketball, baseball. doesn't matter. You, you can only overcome so much with coaching and and development. Yeah, it's got to be Shane. I yeah, I, I really have no clue on football. Football's it's just, a little muddled because there's so many of them, and there's not like Deuce Vaughn's a Van Malone guy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not. I a mean, bad you could up. you could you could say he's the best. You know, I would agree. Probably current athlete at K State, and I mean, if that's all Van Malone, then. I would say he's probably well. When you say current athlete, now that Gills isn't in school, oh, right? That's right. <laughs> have you graduated yet? Technically, nope. I have what four days. You got classes still? Yeah, I got a. Okay, so he's still the best. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, next question comes from Itam Bibi. Did I say that right? Yeah. Good enough. You're doing good. Don't don't yeah. don't second don't, guess yourself. Yeah, don't doubt yourself. Don't pull a Gilbert. Sticking with the coach's theme, which former football or basketball assistant coach do you want to see in the current staff? Brad Underwood. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it, didn't you? Um, he's not wrong. Bob Stoops. <laughs> that is a great question. Oh boy, football. Well, the current staff throws me off a little bit because. I mean, you could we could say Brad Underwood, but yeah, he's not no, coming it, back. He's not coming to, back as an assistant, right? Yeah, yeah. These are these are jokes, Cole. Um, Joe Bob. I think former player Daryl Wyatt, who a lot of people don't know, but he's been a prominent recruiter at a number of schools, including Kansas for Mangino, and he's never made his way back to K State to coach. I think there might have been a window to have him this year, but it didn't work out. I'm, yeah, it's so hard. What about Michael Bishop? He's the head coach in Texas now, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. He never coached at K State, right? but yeah. It's so kind of hard. This is a tough one, man. I'll say AB three. Just look what he did this year. Bring him back. Yeah, yeah. he's got some success. That's mm-hmm. true. 
Yeah, you know, I do wonder about that. If Scott Drew ever got lured away, if he would come back as an associate head coach. But, you know, I don't know. That's that's good. Um, I'll be curious. Isn't Jake Waters moved to Iowa State now? I think. Is he there with wide receivers, tight ends, I think? Yeah. 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 That That's interesting for sure. I'm going to keep an eye on his career because I think a lot of Jake. Um, well, Nathan Shieldhouse from quarterback at Illinois who went to Rockers High School, he's like their main recruiter, um, at least in the Kansas City area. So uh, I don't think he's definitely necessarily a K-State guy, but if you could kind of lure him back home, I mean, that would be a pretty big... To the area? Yeah, yeah to the area. <laughs> he is senior quality control on offense, so he's not a position coach. Okay. Hmm. You know. The question was, which coach, not necessarily player? Assistant coach. Assistant coach, yeah. About Chester Frazier. Politely uh, uh, declined. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing against Chester, but, you know, and I know he has a lot of fans, but they've got a blind spot. The the lack of recruits didn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I mean, after that Barry Brown class, it dropped off the end of the table. Mm-hmm. It just did. Okay, so the next question is from When the Dang Day 2001 or WTDD 2001. How many K-State baseball players have a potential for a pro career? You know this I better. You, you answered, answered, you, answered you asked the question to yourself. Okay, so, I mean, the question of a pro career, and I think you guys can agree with me on this, is different in baseball than it is in every other sport. Right. Because there's a lot of guys that can play pro baseball. There's not very many that can actually make the major leagues. So that's kind of like asking how many K-State basketball players can play professionally. Well, a lot of them can play professionally if it's overseas. So, I mean, how many of these guys can actually make the major leagues? I think Jordan Wicks is probably the only one. But I, I think Dylan Phillips is close. I look at Dylan Phillips as somebody who can play first base in a corner outfield spot and hit for power and hit the gaps, which is not something that you can get a lot of the times um, for somebody of his size. So I think he has a chance to get drafted this year. If not this year, he'd come back to school, be the best player, one of the best players in the conference. I think he's got a chance to play at the next level. Him and Zach Kakoska are the two guys that I look at right now as the position players. I can play professionally, but I mean, Nick Goodwin could get there eventually. He's just a freshman, so he's got some time, but man, I don't know. This is kind of a hard question because after this weekend, they don't look like they even deserve to be in the man, big 12. That was bad. Uh, yeah. And I'm a little worried about Wicks. I don't think he's having the kind of outings you would expect for someone of his stature and draft boards. I'm afraid we're going to see him slip a little bit, but you know, scouts see other things, you know, like, Cade Cunningham, I thought, was a really good player, and I saw him do some incredible things, but I saw him coast so much, I have alarm bells about him, but everyone seems to be, oh, he's the number one guy, and I'm like, really? Really? There's some other dudes out there that are pretty good. So I'll I'll be curious to see how that plays out, but Jordan Wicks is still being projected as a first-round pick, which would be huge for the program. When was the last time that Casey had a first-round pick in any sport? Well, to be... Was there Josh Freeman? Was there a baseball player taken? I don't think uh, there's no. ever been a baseball nope. player first. Would have been Josh Freeman? <clears throat> I think well, Jordan Beasley was that. Uh, no, Michael Beasley would have oh, been eight. after. Mm-hmm. No? Yep. Yeah, that would have been barely after. I just Freeman. looked at this for my Jeopardy piece. Yeah. Beasley was 08. And Freeman was 7. No. Freeman would have been 09. Yeah, Freeman really? would have been the 09 yeah. draft. Freeman played, was 09. That's right. <laughs> he <Oops>. played. <laughs> Six, seven, and eight, and then the nine. Yeah. yeah. I would think Jordan Wicks has a better professional career than both of those guys. Um, That's not saying a whole lot, but all uh, right. <laughs> I just think I, I really like his potential, and we were kind of talking about this on Wabash Station. It's hard to project pitchers for sure, but I see Jordan Wicks as somebody with the plus-plus changeup. And that's not something that you see a lot with left-handers. You know, usually it's that wipeout slider that can get lefties out. But the reason why he's projected so high is because of his changeup and his ability to get right-handed hitters out along with left-handed hitters out. So 
I mean, I understand the fastball is 91, 92, but I think scouts look at him as somebody they can add two or three miles an hour on his fastball. If you put him in the bullpen, maybe he's around 95. So I think like, I put this in the piece. I think Jordan Wicks, if he gets drafted by a good team, can shoot up the system very quickly, especially if K-State doesn't play in the postseason. He could find himself in the bullpen in the majors at the end of the season just because he has very good command and his has a plus-plus changeup right now. Nice. Yeah, I can see it. If you're if you're drafting a college guy in the first round, you're expecting him to be there soon. For sure. Within a year or two is yeah. usually how – I mean, that's what happened with the Royals. Yep. You know, they drafted all those guys in 2018, and now all of them except for one of them are, are here. So um, we'll see how Jordan Wicks fares in the draft. Uh, the next question is from Limestein Li- – Limestein. Wow. Oh, whoa. <laughs> you okay over there? Man. Limestone Silo. The amount of money K-State receives from being in the Big 12 is double what it was a decade ago. Incredible. Perhaps almost $20 million a year more. Where does all this money go? Coaches' salaries haven't doubled, have they? We don't have more coaches or support staff, do we? The building projects are mostly done from donations, right? Help me understand where the money goes and why we can't really amp up our pay or staff numbers. It's not true. The, the building projects are... Thank you. The building projects are uh, non-debt because they do pay some of it out of the fund. They they do use some of that to to pay the bills um, with the building projects. But yeah, I mean, if you look across the board, coaching salaries, um, the amount of money put into recruiting, all that slowly rises, and it's just not coaches. I'm going to be honest here. The staff at Kansas State was really woefully paid, and it was hard to retain people. And now they're retaining people because over the last, you know, Gene Taylor and some John Curry, he was really tight. But um, they've, they've raised some of that. And, uh, yeah, but you're right. $20 million is a huge chunk. But you just all the inflation, every the cost of everything goes up, like getting the police to work the streets for the games and everything goes up. It just, there's such creep in a budget that it's really difficult to stay on top of it. But yeah, they do use some of that money, the big 12 money into the the building to, to supplement the donations. I mean, they need the cash on hand. The donations are pledges. So they need the cash on hand to start projects. 10 years ago, they didn't have a television production and broadcast very thing. true you know there's a big chunk you know add in those staff i mean there's certainly more development staff more you know jobs they may not be terribly high paying but there's more support staff maybe not just directly for for sports but for athletics as a whole i mean think about social media and just digital you know a lot Huge. of people you know that we know in the in the department they wouldn't have had jobs 10 15 years ago you're right you're right based and on the growth of of where you need to be when it comes to the digital space so there's there's more jobs like that that have developed over the last 10 years that you wouldn't have really had that aren't necessarily helping with the on-field product so but they help with the fan experience and and the ramifications of that is now there's a larger staff for for a guy like Kenny Lanou, who's moved up to a, I think he's a senior associate AD now, which is incredible. I've watched him go from a assistant SID all the way to a couple steps from the top. He's going to probably break away from all of the day-to-day SID things. They'll bring in someone new, and Ryan Lackey will kind of ascend uh, because there's so much management now. They're doing their own content. They you know do so much production. There's a lot that goes into that side of it. Honestly, it's it's stuff that competes with us and other media. So it, it's interesting. So they're using that Big 12 money to to hammer us. I know you talked about, you mentioned a TV deal. Basically what you're telling me is without this $20 million, 10 years ago, we don't have Lance Blinks calling the games for us. Mm, what a treat that is. That is. So he makes $20 million a year. Yeah. Yeah, he should. Cause he's it all goes good. to him. <laughs> mm. Last question of the podcast is from... Fitz's his favorite, Adam K. 63. Ah, oh, you jackass. When do you expect an announcement of K-State saying the stadium will be at full capacity this fall? I'll say it right now. The stadium will be at full capacity this fall. It's got to be coming pretty soon. I'd say I, if, I, if, I think they're probably waiting until after the May 
16 announcement, mm-hmm. 17 announcement that the, the city's completely mask-free? Probably. Yeah, that's probably a good well, next early next week. Mm-hmm. Will probably. the capacity limitations be so? Will, will the capa- capacity limitations be lifted on that ordinance too? Because isn't there a capacity limitation on that Riley County ordinance? I think all that's well, lifted. That's, or is that yeah, gone? That's the county. This the county's mask ordinance is gone. The city's City. is still in effect mm-hmm. through the sixteenth. Once midnight hits on the seventeenth, it should be out of <laughs> out of effect. So yeah, I think next Monday is probably Monday or Tuesday is when I'd guess to is Monday get the sixteenth press conference. No, Monday's like the eighteenth, right? No, Monday's the seventeenth. What a weird date to pick. Why wouldn't you pick the fifteenth? It's right after graduation. So we, yeah, so was, they wanted to have that with people oh, messed up and stuff. God's sakes. Yep. Well, isn't that still university policy though? So well, they really did matter? the way the city did it was. Basically, the government's protecting K-State is what the ordinance is doing so that they don't leave them out in the cold, mm-hmm. so to speak. But I'm not gonna, it, I'm not going to get into the the reasoning or anything. Hasn't Gene Taylor said that they've planned to go full capacity? I think he has. He's hinted yeah. at it. They, they've got to. Yeah. They've if, got to. And, folks, I mean, it's going to come down to your, your control here. You can get vaccinated or not. You can feel comfortable in in settings like that or not. You get to choose. I, as a someone who was in a, a part of the society that had some threats from you know COVID, I can't tell you how many people would rudely say, "Well, don't leave your house." You know, like, "Oh, that's good. That's healthy." Yeah, I'll stay in my house for the next fifteen days. Was one thing. Nine months is another. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, now everyone has that decision. Are, do you feel safe? If you don't, you don't have to go into those situations. You don't have to go to stadiums or movie theaters or concerts or whatever. You you can decide that for yourself. And if you don't get vaccinated, I should be fine because I'm vaccinated. There's some common sense here. Yeah, Sporting KC is going to full capacity on March or excuse me May 29th. So, and you don't even have to wear a mask. It's just strongly encouraged. And if you want to wear a mask, there's like one section that they're setting aside where everyone's required to wear a mask. They won't be at full capacity until I return to the <laughs> to the stadium and put my fat butt in that 15-inch seat because that is the definition of full capacity. <laughs> they are kind of small. I've never been to a game before. Really? I, You're from Kansas City. Big sports fan like yourself? I know. I, I've always wanted to go, but I just never have. It's fun. Bud Light Landing. I was in Best an place. abusive relationship with the chair at sporting for about five minutes. And I got out of that relationship and went to the bar. So the chair won? The cha- Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That chair was... Was confining me as a human being. I think it's less about the size of the chair than it is the style of the chair. Because the way it just folds down and there's like no support underneath. Like it just kind of, you sit in it and you're like, even me at 200 something pounds, just kind of like, this is, yeah, seems risky. It wasn't fun. I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Do you think people are still going to come out in droves for games like they used to before? I think it'll take droves. it. Oh, wait. No, I'm actually... Can, what? You never heard droves? Drove? Large numbers. Oh, no. That is way over my head. Okay. Good word. I like that. I'll use that more often. <laughs> uh, wow. He, uh, I don't know. That's a big question. You know, I, I just had a my first speaking engagement in, well, since my diagnosis, so three years. And that was, you know, one of the questions I fielded. And I'm like, that is the concern of anyone who hosts sporting events, movies, theater, concerts... Church, will we return to our old habits and start going back to all these things? Or did these break those habits? And maybe it's not about safety or the COVID or anything else. It's about, hey, it was kind of nice sitting at home watching on a 70-inch TV. Wish I had a 70-inch TV. Hey, everyone, my wife won't let me have a 70-inch TV. Does that mean I'm in an abusive relationship? I have one. Oh, see, I have a 75-inch TV. The kid over here has a 75-inch TV. <laughs> Gills has a 42-inch <laughs> yeah. TV, right? Well, Gills yep. will have a 75-inch TV in August. So. Oh. We got a lot of inches. You get a lot of TVs given to you. Yeah. I've noticed this. Um, it's a blessing. Actually, is the one not give you 50? I can go home and measure it. Nah, it's <laughs> it's yeah, does not get into measuring stuff. Uh, it, uh, I, I don't. 
I don't know what people will do. And I'm ready to get back to doing stuff. That's why I'm vaccinated. And we'll see if people show up in the stands. I can tell you this, though, Zach. If any of the road venues require a mask, buddy, I'm out. I'm not going to wear a mask in a press box. Do you think I feel, any... I feel good in the Big 12. Like Pac-12? Yeah. I was going to ask. Like Pac-12, like, think they're going to have full capacity? No. No. Not I don't think I, I don't even I don't think they're going to even have to announce it. even if they even if there wasn't restrictions they're not going to be full capacity because it's the Pac-12. Well, then you get a what about the Big Ten? I mean, they didn't have any fans this year. No, the Big Ten will be full capacity. Yeah, they'll get there. I mean, the Pac-12. What I'm saying is well, nobody cares about Pac-12 football. Right. The SEC will not only have full capacity; they'll encourage you to lick your neighbor's face. Just lean, lean over and spread those germs. Yeah, Pac-12. I don't. I can see some Pac-12 schools not having any capacity still. I can still see it. California? Oh, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be really interesting. I think Cal and Stanford might be the only two that I could think that wouldn't. The Dodgers, Angels, A's, Giants, they're all having fans. And it's not that less than the other teams in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you're right. But I don't know if they will add fans as quickly as the other teams have. So It'll be interesting. Back to your point, though, about people getting back into habits. I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, re-winning business. And, you know, when you think back to pre-pandemic, you're going to the stadium and you got to pay, you know, eight bucks for a hot dog or 12 bucks for a beer or whatever. I think there's going to be somewhat of a market correction to the fan experience of, hey, we want you here and we won't gouge you like we used to. So you come and spend money, you know, because some money is better than no money. I'll be honest. We're, we're going to examine how we cover games. How important is the actual game coverage to a fan? Or is that something that they they just know they have? They see the highlights. They've been at the game. They've watched on TV. Is it that important to have these recaps? So it's something we're going to be looking at over the summer. How much do we need to put into traveling to games? Um, we're certainly never going to do it like we used to, travel heavy with four or five people. I mean, when we had a magazine, you know, we needed the photos, and there was a lot of things that went into it. But, yeah, it's, everything's changed. The pandemic's going to change a lot of things. It'll, it'll be fascinating, Adam, to look back five years from now and see what all changed. Well, half of us will be zombies. I don't know which half, but according to everyone, we'll either be zombies one way or the other. Thank you for listening to the Power Cat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.